Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a recovered life discussion all about setting healthy boundaries and how codependency could be keeping you from living your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Okay, well, welcome. We start with a small group, but that's perfectly fine. Hello, everybody, to Recovered Life Discussions. Thank you so much. I know that the room will probably grow as we keep going. But uh, for now, we don't want to wait any longer. We can go ahead and get started. So today we are in the Setting Healthy Boundaries room, and we are discussing all things codependency and kind of that sneaky little uh, addition to uh, so many of us who are uh, recovering from a substance abuse disorder. And I think it's it's very, very easily become, you know, my life's work to talk about these, this thing called codependency. And sometimes I can even think that I'm sharing and sharing and a little bit of a broken record, but I have to keep reminding myself that uh, our, our entire system, you know, that there are very few places, very few physical places and very few people that grew up in a home um, that uh, gave us better relationship skills. And I know that's kind of a bold statement, but I feel pretty confident after 25 years in recovery and meeting many, many people that there's always an element and a difficulty in, li- in living in and within relationships in a healthy manner. And for me, uh, you know, my story goes as such. Uh, I entered into recovery. I went the 12-step way uh, in 1997 and very quickly knew that I needed more help than just what I was getting in, uh, you know, a room or a peer support group that focused on uh, letting go of alcohol and living a sober life. And um, at first, I I thought this was a tragedy, you know, Um, what propelled me and inspired me to get into a codependency recovery room felt like a betrayal of a partner um, that he was betraying me and that I needed to go get some help for him and get my life straightened out because if he would just act the way I wanted him to act, I wouldn't have near the problems. And that was kind of the way that I entered into recovery um, for codependency. It was a them problem, not a me problem, but very, very quickly saw that I absolutely uh, was actually trying to treat my codependency with alcohol and all of the things that I used in maladaptive, in a maladaptive manner. And so I love it. Um, I have come to believe that it is the kind of boat in which all my other uh, maladaptive behaviors such as uh, compulsive overeating or compulsive dieting, um, compulsive exercise, uh, compulsive debting, 
you know, all of the things. And I realized that I was always doing all these things in order to assure that I wasn't going to be left, you know, um, somewhere my head knew that it was not right and it felt yucky and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out exactly the source until I showed up in this room <clears throat> called codependence of sex addicts. Um, and I think about that sometimes where I truly have a lot of gratitude toward that partner early in substance abuse recovery who compelled me enough to go get help. And I think about the people who show up going, I want to learn how to do this different. And I'm just amazed at their courage and their ability to want to heal these deep wounds. So um, I've, I've already introduced myself, but just to be clear, I am a recovery coach. It is something I do uh, in my professional life. And I focus um, on recovering codependency with a lot of people. And what does that exactly mean, right? That's why we have this room, because the phrase setting healthy boundaries um, could be the, the actual reason why somebody shows up and says they want to study this hard, difficult, kind of often painful uh, dynamic that we have. And, um, and so I'd love to introduce my co-mod, Kathy. Uh, I know you, we know everybody in the room, but this is on replays um, and it is rebroadcasted as a podcast uh, for uh, Recovered Life. Um, and uh, so I always ask people, please use first names only when referring um, to people in our life, our own share, uh, even when you're introducing yourself, just to promote a level of safety as well as keep the comments uh, primarily about yourself and respect, uh, respectful toward anyone else. I'm comfortable with anybody using my last name, and I encourage everybody who is in the room or listening on the podcast, uh, podcast to hit up recoveredlife.com and learn a little bit more about what we're doing over here because it is an incredible movement that is allowing us to kind of talk about all things recovery and all paths are welcomed. And if you have any inkling and want to know a little more about codependency in your life or you've been called a codependent, I really encourage you to reach out, join the community. Uh, the link is attached to this room. Um, but if you're listening on the podcast, it is uh, recoveredlife.us. Anyway, um, I want everybody to, oh, yes, I said recovery life, recoveredlife.us. All right, so what do I want to talk about today? Kathy, how are you? My co-mod uh, is here. Kathy, I'd love for you to introduce yourself for people that are listening on the rebroadcast and see. Let them know you. Okay, uh, my name's Kathy. Uh, I'm from the UK. Uh, little place called Wales. I am uh, in sobriety. I'm in recovery for uh, one year, seven months and a little bit at the moment. And during that time, during that journey, um, I've come to the realisation uh, that I'm codependent. Uh, I have been for quite some time. Uh, I think I would class myself as classically um, codependent. 
um, and I wasn't aware of it, which uh, a lot of codependents aren't, uh, until I kind of listened into other people's stories and thought, oh, oh, that's me. So I've been working on that as well. The sobriety work has, has, has gone well. Um, the codependency is still in early days, but I think uh, learning from Christina and with guidance uh, in this particular clubhouse, um, I'm in great hands. So I'm, I'm confident and I think I've made some changes already. Oh, um, I see yeah. some behavior. I love that. And what is the purpose, right? The purpose is so that we have better lives and meaningful connections and to really live our life. And so I love that you share that. And I really, you know, want everybody to feel comfortable. The format of the room is discussion. So please, if you want to share what's going on in your life, if you want to be part of the conversation, which I hope you do, <clears throat> raise your hand and come on up. And we will kind of get into uh, some of the direction that I thought I would take today. Yesterday in our Recovered Life discussion, we talked about um, the three elements of cultivating meaningful connections and one of them really struck me as you know basically uh, a description of how dangerous codependency is and how much we struggle and it's and i thought i'd talk about it today even though it's kind of the hard side to look at of codependency where we really um, want to be of help we do want to be of service and yet um, we're doing it for perhaps some of the wrong reasons. And it's very hard. When I first started looking at my recovery, it was very difficult for me to admit and kind of shed this idea that I was a victim, um, at least in my current relationships. I felt very victimized. I was, you know, often we hear outside of recovery, uh, rooms, this term people pleaser, and everybody I think kind of has an idea of what that is, you know, and, and they know they don't want to continue to be a people pleaser. They're, you know, they want to know how to set healthy boundaries. We don't really look at some of the more difficult um, sides of codependency. Um, at the same time, I don't want people to swing all the way to the self-punishing stage of I'm a, a manipulative person and there I go trying to control because I've also seen that and I don't think that's very helpful. I've felt that when I first discovered um, the definition of codependency and saw this kind of ugly side where we were you know, uh, trying to, where I was actually trying to control the outcomes in other people's lives, i.e. this boyfriend that I was involved with, this, um, and we were actually engaged, I was trying to control his behavior. Um, and, and even though it was probably beneficial to him to seek recovery for his addiction, it still wasn't necessarily my business. And it smacks of lack of acceptance of other people. And I knew in my heart I wasn't trying to be that controlling, but my behaviors hurt people. And so I want to talk about this, this, um, this comment that was shared in Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart, um, from Anne Lamont. And if you don't follow Anne Lamont, she's a wonderful resource. I highly suggest you hit her up on social media as well as myself because she really has... Um, she's really a wonderful teacher. And she said, help is the sunny side of control. And I thought, ooh, that really hit me. And so I wanted to kind of dive into what that looks like 
Um, I shared briefly about my previous relationship, but when I looked at that particular relationship, it was hard for me to see how what I was doing was hurting them because I wanted them to feel better. And, and I thought that's a good thing, right? When we shower people with love, when we show up and we're of service, that's a good thing. In fact, in the 12 step foundation service is, you know, the, the 12 step being of service. And so it was really confusing to me why it was a bad thing. And recovering from codependency was tricky because in my first program, if I felt bad, I was supposed to go be of service to somebody else. And I had to look deep underneath it and see where the motives were. What was, what was it truly all about? And for me, it was all about this unspoken contract where I made, I gave all of me to somebody and, you know, of course I attracted people that were like, okay, I'm with that. That sounds good. Keep giving me to me. But I had this unspoken contract with them that they would then in turn give me everything they had. And many of them didn't have that same opinion. And so I would always end up being victimized, right? Because I was giving so much and they were not returning it. And there is that part of it. It's legitimate. It's, it's an unevenness. And that needs to be addressed in all relationships. But if I am to be honest, I was stepping into every relationship in a way of trying to control their behavior, control the outcome, not let other people learn from their own lessons. And in, and, and in many cases, it was my ego that said, I know what's best for you. And um, it was very difficult for me to, to step away and let people kind of suffer from their own consequences. And I didn't realize that my behaviors, my subtle um, controlling behaviors and my not so subtle controlling behaviors were my desperate attempt to not be abandoned. And I've shared many times in this room, uh, once you start studying codependency and you start understanding it, for, I should say for me, once I started studying it, yikes, I realized that it was actually just the way I operated in all my relationships, both at work, both at friendships, and especially love relationships. And even in my parenting, with my eyes wide open to what codependency is and how dangerous it is to the relationship, not only me and the other person, but to this third thing, this relationship that we're trying to cultivate, I, I struggled, you know, I struggled with um, believing that I was wrong. And I'm kind of, you know, it's been a long time since I walked through that door. And so I have a lot of self-forgiveness in my heart, a lot of love for myself and the, you know, 27 year old Christina that just wanted to make sure everyone was safe. But most of all, I wanted to make sure I was safe. And so what it kind of looked like was, you know, me moving all the parts in my day, you know, with everyone giving so that I could exact a response that would make me feel safe and putting on this other version of myself. And it was a lose-lose proposition 
not only did the other person not want to be manipulated or they would quickly catch on that that this was a little sick and twisted and you know that what I really thought they were supposed to do wasn't exactly what they signed up to do you could almost call it as you know a bait and switch and then you know I <clears throat> also realized I wasn't portraying all of me so I never felt like I was seen I never felt like anybody really knew all of me. And I put myself in this position where I had to continue to be the most generous, the most put together, the most everything in every relationship. If somebody gave me a present, I had to outgive them next time. It was, uh, you know, it was this sadness and then a deep loneliness. And so I thought we would talk a little bit about <clears throat> what it feels like when you first discover that perhaps you know, all of these gifts, you know, in Al-Anon, they have a phrase for fun and for free, which I just love. And I started using that in my, um, in my decision making about why I would do something for somebody else. Am I doing it for fun and for free? Or do I have an expectation that they will return it and be loyal to me and, you know, say everything is great about me and never have any other needs besides the ones that I deem are important to give. And so I want to open it up uh, to the entire room to come up and start sharing. And I thought we would just kind of get into a little bit of the, of the you know, motivation to start recovering in this area. Kathy, I'd love for your response. Um, my, my motivation has changed as time's gone on, to be honest, Christina. I think um, when I first realized my codependency, I was still, re oh, I'm still am uh, early in my sobriety. Um, but I thought, oh, okay, that's something to work on. You know, I have a, there is a, a gap in my life, not a, not a bad gap, but a good gap. Um, and let's let's discover that. But as it's gone on, I think I've realized that um, that you're talking about pieces of yourself. Um, I'm, I've been given different pieces to different people, different relationships. Um, nobody's really seen the complete me, I think, in, in the raw, as it were, and at least of all me. Because I don't, I don't think I, I would. I think I was scared of what I was going to see. I don't think I liked what I was going to see. If I put all those pieces together, and was one whole person, um, I think I wasn't ready. I, I wouldn't have liked what I, what I was going to see. And now I'm, I'm ready to put all those pieces together, um, and see what's there. Because if, if there's stuff that I don't like. I know I can work on it. Um, if there's stuff that I don't like, but or that other people don't like, then maybe I don't have to work on it. Maybe that's that's part of me. I, I mean, I know I'm not for everybody. I can, I can live with that. Um, and maybe when I see the complete me and let all those pieces finally come together, like some very difficult jigsaw, um, I will like what I see and I can live with what I see. And if I can live with it, then other people can. And I can go into new relationships. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I, I have a, a lot of good friendships. I'm lucky that way. Um, but maybe not everybody knows everything. Not everybody needs to know everything. But maybe I am keeping a bit back that that would benefit those relationships. So, uh, and that'll be my choice to to make. I don't need to to rush out and 
give my life story within 20 seconds to, to people that already know me. Um, but I, I want to see that complete picture, I think. Uh, I think I owe it to myself. I've, I've, I've done some work. Um, I've done some of the hard yards and I'm at a stage in my life now where I'm ready to, to, to see that full, that, that, see that puzzle come together and then see what, see what I end up with. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll really like it. Uh, that's a possibility too. I hope um, it goes that way. But uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see how, how piecing it together comes, comes together. So yeah, that's me. Mm, that's so good. And you brought up one of the best benefits of working on our codependency is we start to learn who we are. I mean, I have to say, and I know I've said this before, but I didn't even know what color I liked, truthfully. I had an idea, but you know, when I sat down, I, I could not access. I, I had spent so much energy figuring out what color you liked and what I needed to do to jump through these hoops and who I needed to quote be, but I had no idea who I was. And I've seen this kind of touched in some modern movies, um, which is really interesting. There's this movie called Runaway Bride and it's a silly little movie. I think it was designed to be kind of a, a follow up to Pretty Woman or, you know, a pairing with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. But it talks about how, you know, she, was notorious for getting engaged and running away from the at the actual wedding and every fiance said we like the same kind of eggs and what it looked like was you like that kind I like that kind oh that's my favorite and they show kind of the montage of her growing spiritually <laughs> with trying a whole bunch of eggs but it is like that you know when we start you know, looking toward ourselves for our own value and not depending on other people f to tell us about our value, then, um, then we really do get to know about ourselves. And I love that you shared, you know, that you want to know all of you, because I think that's definitely one of the side effects of recovering from codependency. And I, I've said this before, I showed up a lot of people show up in recovering codependent kind of rooms because we know that, you know, the other person may be, quote, drinking, which, you know, that was the original phrase. Codependency was, that word was created by actually AA as a way to describe the partner. Um, they were drinking, but we were crazy. And so it's one of those kind of fallouts that happens to be one of the best reasons to start working on this because, Many, I, all codependents, one of the, the, the foundations of going down this road is the lack of self-love. And it comes from early, early in our childhood. And all, you know, for whatever reason, in my case, it was extreme abuse. Um, in some people's cases, it's, uh, you know, a trauma that happens, one specific trauma that ends you know, our ability to show up as ourselves. Um, we all kind of show up in this area, you know, using substance maybe to numb and to treat the codependency and then eventually realizing if I'm gonna stay sober, physically sober, I need to learn how to do this. And it is about learning to love ourselves. The very first room um, in Setting Healthy Boundaries last year was, was that was the topic of the room and I still believe it. 
anytime we sit down and talk about recovering from codependence, we have to talk about self-love and learning that we are enough without these generosity and the overgiving and the caretaking that we take on as a way to feel like we have value. Um, and next I'll go to Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining us. Anybody who wants to, we're discussing kind of the darker side and the motivations for starting recovery. What a beautiful segue into what I have to offer. And as a recovery relationship coach, absolutely, you know, that is exactly the most important relationship you're ever going to have is with yourself and finding true love within breaking yourself. You're breaking up a little bit, Elizabeth. The most important relationship you're ever going to have is with yourself. Uh, I hope I'm still, am I coming in clear now? I can hear you. Uh, yeah, that's better. You know, and people who come into recovery, you know, the very positive thing is we have an opportunity to change. And I know I did. I came into this program, into recovery, very, very broken and so fear-based. And, you know, even though I came from a home that my parents loved me, but they didn't know how to look after me. So it wasn't abandonment, but emotionally, they didn't know how to look after me. And I was fear-based. I grew up hungry. Even though there was a roof over my head, there was total chaos. So I grew up in fear. And for all kinds of reasons, there was trauma and chaos. And that just extended into my teen life and throughout, you know, choosing a partner and, you know, and so it continued. So go as a relationship coach, knowing, you know, your attachment style and then you know, going back to what we learned, what we're talking about in yesterday's uh, meeting with Christina about uh, Brené Brown's book, The Atlas of the Heart, you know, are talking about, uh, you know, what we were doing yesterday. You know, it's very similar, but we have an opportunity to change and mature our attachment style to mature, mature. So from being, for me, being very anxious and fearful, you know, now in terms of how I love myself, back to self-love, I'm not anxious and fearful anymore. I've been able to mature to my self-love where I have a very strong foundation. And that has changed all my relationships to mature, right down to how I love my partner and how he loves me. It's, it really is phenomenal. So people in recovery have an opportunity to change as they recover. So the message I want to give is in recovery, as we get very strong and how Christina has described how codependency changes, it, 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 do, it doesn't work backwards. It works forward. And that's the message I want to give today. Thank you. Oh, I love that. And I think that's really important to point out, uh, you know, if is that hope that comes from it. Um, and you, I love that you shared your 
uh, story of your childhood because that was, you know, exactly what I was trying to say. It's not a matter of blaming our caregivers. It's uh, a matter of understanding and doing in uh, the ACOA program, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. We learn that we have to go back and really look at the roots where we made decisions. You know, a lot of these methods of communication, these methods of relationships, you know, the codependency, the anxious attachment, all of them are based on our childhood. And they are based on our what we learned and what we thought we were being taught. So that's why I always want to talk about like uh, that because I don't want people to feel resistant that we're going to be in a room talking about how badly your parents messed up. That's not helpful. But what is important is to acknowledge it, feel it. Trauma is usually, there is a trauma event uh, in everybody's life. Um, you know, I've heard some well-known speakers say, if you're in a room recovering from a substance, you can't say that you didn't have trauma. But we don't even know what that trauma means. I think people think of it as always big T trauma. And little traumas can easily make up our three-year-old brain, oh, this is how we treat each other. This is what love is. Um, and I think sometimes even the the absence of abuse can make it a little trickier for people to identify why they um, are codependent. It can be kind of like, well, they loved each other. Or I remember working with somebody who couldn't understand where it was coming from, you know, why she would pick addicts and, you know, why she had these codependent issues. You know, she, she presented as a very strong, very bright uh, woman, you know, very capable, which is, you know, a misdemeanor that all codependents are whiny and super dependent like over some, on somebody else it can show up regardless of of that um, myself included I showed up very strong uh, very uh, much a leader but it was very it was subtle and what is happening is that we figure out very early and in her case it took her years to be like, what happened? What happened? And then she finally realized it was the way her parents treated each other that really, really made it hard for her to understand love. They were great to her, perhaps. Um, although I would venture to say if you're in a home where parents are hateful toward each other, that is trauma as well. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, and I'm so glad that you talked about again the most important relationship we have is with ourselves and um, that's very difficult that was incredibly difficult for me I really if somebody said what do you want to do or what makes you happy it was always about what makes me happy is seeing other people happy and and thinking that was a virtuous thing so it's uh, it's insidious the way it can rob us of beautiful uh, intimate relationships. And Cecilia, I'm so happy to see you. And one of the things I love about doing this is we meet people all over the world. Both my sister Kathy and Cecilia live on the other side of the world. And, um, and it's good to know that codependency is everywhere and people are recovering everywhere. 
Hi, Christina. Thank you. Hi, Kathy, Elizabeth, Amber. Um, so good to be here. And as I understand the topic, I, I choose to interpret it um, uh, in a way that is, <laughs> is suiting me today. <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm actually in the middle of something that really sets, you know, my codependency um, on fire or on trial or I don't know <laughs> what to call it. Absolutely. But, <laughs> yeah. So um, I have actually nudged a friend towards AA and gotten a response that makes me very, very um, hopeful. Um, and then, you know, the enthusiasm I feel um, uh, is telling me uh, to sit down and just just sort out what's what here and what am I going to do next uh, what I'm am I not going to do next and um, I just um, I, I picture myself in a room and this other person in the other room and me shutting the door <laughs> to their room actually just to be able to be in my own space and not merge the two you know things together like i my codependency tends to you know i i filter myself into other people's destinies and try to control the outcome typically you know like you know that these things i have learned this year and it's amazing to have uh, the possibility to, to manage this situation in another way than I would have one and a half year ago. And um, so I'm, I'm gon gonna <laughs> try, like you said, or you mentioned um, the expectation of something back. I don't, I don't need anything back. I don't expect anything back. Um, and the, the thing about how you how you make yourself uh, of service in a good way, not in a codependent way, to, to be there uh, if they need me, um, and how to, how to extend that hand without controlling. I think that's, that's sort of, a, I'm, I'm, I'm right in, in, in the laboratory of codependency right now. I, I'm sorting things out and I really need <laughs> to hear you speak, all of you. Um, so I have to lock that door to the other person's room and stay in my own space and lock the door into the control room as well. That's behind us, you know, the, <laughs> the imaginary control room uh, with switches and lights. And I have to just uh, forget it exists because it doesn't. Um, that's, that's the universe. Uh, and I, I try also to have a conversation with my higher power about it and making it, uh, you know, letting it go. I, I have worked uh, yesterday and today. Um, I've been in rooms where that has been a topic and I, it's so helpful. Um, so yeah, I have to curb my enthusiasm. Um, and I'm also working hard to be in the moment and um, to take one day at a time and uh, not being, being fixated whether or not this person will make it to a meeting 
or how or when or why or how you know just just hand it over and um, it makes me think that I've come into recovery not far into recovery but I, I am in recovery and I, I really really feel it these days um, and I'm going to handle the situation as best as I can uh, and and make it simple yeah so thank you Christina and Kathy for holding the space I've not been able to be here of late I've seen the the room pop up in in the replays and I'm so happy it still runs and now I'm going to say out loud because I I am going to have a room on Sunday and it's very very long time ago so I have to make myself you know um, bind myself to it, uh, it to say it out loud it's not to to uh, to um, announce it but you know how it is <laughs> I've been sloppy with those yeah so uh, yeah so thank you for listening and um, and uh, this was a great topic and a great space to be in right now for me thank you yes Oh my goodness, Cecilia, you just taught a master class in your share about how do we determine our sobriety around codependent behaviors. And I love that you called it a laboratory because I think that it is, it is such a, it's an art form to start learning. When every language, when, when we had examples of relationships that were enmeshed, you know, um, that's what we thought were relationships. That's what I thought was a relationship. I'm a really good friend if I step in and basically do it with you or do it for you. And, you know, it took me some time to start seeing those red flags that you talked about, you know, about this kind of uh, obsession or it's a takeover in our thoughts when we have somebody either new in our life or we do uh, have a helpful suggestion and they start to you know indicate that they're interested and we want the best for them it is really difficult to stop these these are knee-jerk behaviors and we have to always understand that this was the way we were taught for many years and there are good things about helping somebody but it is not at all a black and white issue um, with alcohol for me it was you know it was difficult it was really really hard but there was an absolute measurement of what sobriety meant and I love saying abstinence from alcohol and using the term sobriety for my behaviors and all the things and I know you know a couple of weeks ago we had a discussion about how you start determining your sobriety around codependent behaviors and it really looks like you know staying in your activities that feed you that take care of you and looking at those body reactions you know and like becoming very thoughts being overtaken about I wonder if they're going to go to a meeting I wonder if I need to take them to a meeting and I love the technique you used as a visualization of stepping away they call it um, in recovery world detaching with love and sometimes we can do that but very much so in the beginning when we're in these kind of toxic relationships and we're starting to understand oh I'm giving 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 and there's not a lot of reciprocation happening 
perhaps you sometimes need to detach with you know anger but above all learn how to detach and eventually we want to be able to be have a loving response to ourselves and a loving response to others and i had to learn this you know about what some of the sensations and i have taught my brain through embodiment that if somebody you know i meet a new girlfriend friend and all of a sudden they're saying over the top love bombing things um like oh my god you're the best we've been it's like we've known each other our whole life those are good indications to me that this person has not yet worked on their boundaries and I do not have to become which is very intoxicating to me to become this person's hero very intoxicating and and I know how it will end if I do not have my own boundaries for myself and stop and so that was a wonderful example of how recovering from codependency looks like. It's becoming aware that we are uh, walking into enmeshment. We're not focused on ourselves. We're not, you know, doing the things we need to do. We're not finding joy from our own selves and what we, you know, activities that we love. We're stepping into this, I've got to get them to behave a certain way so that I can get my hit. And uh, I just, I love the visualization and everything that you shared. And I am excited that you're going to be hosting your own room this weekend. That is certainly something we love to join in. And, and it speaks to what recovering looks like. You know, uh, we talked a lot about meaningful connections yesterday. And I think that that really is the goal, meaningful connections. And one of the key elements of having a meaningful connection is walking alongside with somebody, which is what we do when we're in recovery. Uh, and there is no ultimate authority. The spiritual technology of the 12 steps is amazing because it's been around since the 30s. And now, you know, we're in almost 100 years later, very close to being 100 years later, realizing that this is truly what it means and connection is truly our goal. Um, but true connection, where we show up as who we are and share what we want out of, out of the leftovers, the extra that we have, and other people who are walking alongside of us are able to do that too in their way. So, so awesome that you shared. I'm looking forward to this weekend and hopefully I'll see you. Amber, thanks for coming up. What would you like to share? Um, I guess for me, it might sound kind of funny, but I mean, I think that my whole reason is because I matter and I feel like I've been trying to get that in all these different ways that are not like proper and um, because I don't believe that I do matter or I don't know how to be um yeah so i'm i mean that's my whole reason for codependency stuff is so that i can make sure that i'm that i matter and that i'm taking care of myself properly and being able to have relationships that are healthy um so yeah that's my reason mm, i love that and you do matter we get this idea um 
either it's told to us directly, like if you were just better, I would be a happier parent. Um, and we get assigned these responsibilities and because we love and we have to love our caregivers in order to feel safe, we definitely take on their struggle as a result of who we are. And so finding out that the reason why we are valuable, the reason why we are lovable is not because of the things that we do and our ability to stretch um, to, you know, contain somebody else's uh, struggle emotionally or physically or, or whatever. It is because we are here and we are lovable. And I, I would say that one of the, the even though I wouldn't want to ever admit it in the beginning, I didn't feel like I was worthy of love or that I mattered. And, um, and I still work on that. You know, I still work on that, but I've got all these good relationships and a lot of history and examples to pull upon where there are people out there that are so happy that I am, that I exist just because I exist and I show up, not because of what I can give them or do for them. But what really matters is that I am happy and I love myself. And that's it, such a, a disservice. Uh, we've had definite rooms about why boundaries are frowned upon and why we get teased when we have boundaries and all of those things. And it's because um, almost all of us have been raised in a dominator model of civilization where it was about power and um, this this message, this clear indicator that in order to be valuable, we needed to be able to do so many things for other people. It's um, one of the trickiest things. And um, Louise, I'm struggling pulling you up. I see your hand. So if you want to leave the room and come back, we can try to reset it. But there's a glitch in the system and it's not allowing me to bring you up. So I hope you will pop out and pop back in and raise your hand again because we'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, what is the reason why, um, like you said, because I matter. I mean, such a beautiful, simple statement. Um, but if we don't start looking at this thing as, as serious as perhaps substance abuse, because believe me, there's plenty of data to show us um, in many, many studies, what trauma does to our body and how it shortens our life. This codependency um, survival tactics is what I like to call them. I'm not a big fan of the character defect word, um, but I appreciate, you know, uh, that was language that they used then. But if we don't uh, uh, arrest them, address it, and start to change for them, we don't get to live our own lives. And it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where we won't matter, you know? And if you were raised in a home like I was, where I was not given that message that I mattered, that I was important at all, you know, quite the opposite, then it's not just a given. And we have to start doing those works. And that's why boundaries, setting healthy boundaries, always starts with self-love. And um, I'd love to... Uh, to ask people what, um, how or what you do 
to start working on that because I want to end the room and I know we only have a few minutes left, but I'd love like one statement about how you practice self-love because to me, self-love is an action. And one of the things that I can do in recovery um, and start my recovery is learning how to um, have a personal care contract. And that's been very, very important to me. It includes embodying myself, understanding where my nervous system is, and just detaching from these old uh, behaviors that don't serve anyone and actually hurt me. So, uh, Elizabeth, I'd love to hear what you say um, because you're just you're such a loving soul, and I think that you could certainly leave the room with a little uh, wisdom about how you started to learn to self-love. One of the things that I started with was how I talk to myself. I speak well to myself. I speak kindly and with positive words. I love myself. I never put myself down. Um, the self-loathing I had to get rid of and uh, speak lovingly to myself. So positive self-talk. Thank you. I love that. And I think that we, we all are starting to understand as a society that um, our brain's going to believe whatever we say, you know, and uh, this is where we realize we can stop the cycle. We can have better relationships and have better relationships with the next generation where we teach them uh, that that they matter. I mean, I can't help but just that that phrase haunts me and I love it. Cecilia, what are some of the things that you've done? Yeah, I, I it's a great question. And um, I think uh, my my uh, my beautiful, loving uh, mother, who is also my qualifier for ACA, she learned me how to appreciate myself. So I have it I'm I'm lucky enough to have it in my backbone, so so that it you know it's when it disappears I can I think I have it somewhere <laughs> somewhere in my backbone you know when I'm feeling uh, feeling it and uh, you know when I'm feeling not I'm I'm not loving myself or caring for myself so because i'm i'm yeah i can and cannot uh, i have and have not you know how it is and but recently in in recovery uh, during the last years i've i've meditation for me is coming back to myself and and being able to in a way it's hard to explain in english but it's like i uh meditation for me is to be able to sit with my feelings or sit with how my body reacts to my my head spinning or my anxiety when waking up or uh, um you know yeah so meditation going into the the physical being of me is 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 huge for me um and it's not directly you know saying to myself or, or speaking nicely to myself because that's that I have a problem with with the, the opposite way of talking to myself so but but in the meditation I'm I'm just doing that for me um, so that's a huge thing thank you for the question 
I love that. That's definitely one of the things that I started with. And although I'm not a great meditator, I don't know what that exactly means, that statement, but I would just sit, you know, and schedule my day uh, without the punishment and just had that little leap of faith that it was all right for me in my corporate days to go out in my car or sit in the sunshine, put my hand over my heart um, and, you know, uh, just breathe. The embodiment, the soothing of the vagus nerve was me showing myself self-love. So I just love that. Positive speaking and meditation is so good. And Amber, if you feel comfortable sharing what you do to start the healing and love yourself. Um, I cry. <laughs> um, I hold myself. I remind myself that I'm important. Um, that moving through this stuff's hard. Um, but taking care of myself is a priority. Um, yeah, I honestly just give myself attention too. A lot of times I don't before I would just kind of like numb out on it or try to throw myself into other people's stuff. And I think it's really nice to get really quiet with ourselves and kind of be with ourselves and go inward. I feel like our bodies are crave that sometimes. So, yeah. Mm, thank you. That awareness that we allow ourselves, you know, that awareness of what we're doing and letting go of the punishing schedule or just taking that break, um, doing the next indicated step and leaving the results up to higher power. And, and I know that surrendering um, has been one of, I mean, I, I really don't have a chance if I can't surrender to what my body needs and what I have to do. And that includes feeling emotions. That's a very self-loving thing to do. So I really appreciate um, Elizabeth, Cecilia, Amber, Kathy had to go, but everybody who came up and shared. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.